Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guests today are Julia Jacobson, who's CEO, and Sam Ludwig, who's president of Aster Farms. And they are a cultivator in Northern California. They're focused on sun-grown, sustainably produced flour. We're going to learn a little bit more about their business, the history, and where their focus is in the cannabis market. So with that, Sam and Julia, welcome to the program. Thank you. Really appreciate you having us. Yeah, excited to be on. So why don't we start with a little bit of the background? So tell us about Astor Farms. Tell us how you started. What was your kind of history with cannabis? Why did you choose to get involved in the cannabis field? So, you know, we both saw that in this market, everybody in our lives was starting to explore cannabis for medicinal reasons, wellness reasons, recreational reasons. And and we really felt like there was a hole in the market for an organic cannabis brand that was at the same time, not granola and hippie and crunchy, but sophisticated, a product you would find at Whole Foods, for example. And so, you know, we had both 
uh, consumed cannabis mostly mm-hmm. for medicinal reasons, also recreationally here and there. Yep. <laughs> and we really believed in the power of it. Yep. Um, I have struggled with migraines for years, chronic migraines, and it has been a really great piece of the puzzle to help me get off of pharmaceuticals that have had horrible side effects for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Sam can speak to his uh, injuries, but you know he has used it also for sleep and for a shoulder injury. Yeah, I separated a shoulder about 15 years ago and never fully healed properly, and so I've been using topicals for the last you know 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, and then you know more recently, in the last few years, I've been using tinctures and other products for sleep aids that we've found uh, very very valuable to to everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. To Julia's to Julia's point, you know we. We, we were using, you know, in California and we'd be going to the dispensaries and no one, they weren't really speaking to other brands. We're speaking to our demographic yeah. um, and visually or, or storytelling wise. And so we really saw an opportunity and know that it's going to be a big part of everybody's or, or many people's lives moving forward. And we thought we would like to get involved in the industry. It's additionally to that, my family has been growing cannabis in Mendocino for the last 50 years. And so there is heritage within my family. And so uh, it wasn't yeah, didn't, interesting to twist my arm very hard to get into it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm always curious how people kind of get into the cannabis market today, because I think, you know, I've, I see people coming out of, uh, you know, very diverse industries, other people coming out of agriculture, some, some people coming out of, you know, the cannabis market, you know, the historical cannabis markets. Why don't we start with, I'm kind of curious about given the history that you've had in the cannabis market, you know, as things have gone, you know, kind of legal or kind of more regulated, what are some of the changes or, or when, when you've approached it and developing your business, what are some of the shifts you had to make or, or kind of rethinking that you had to do in terms of how you were going to build your enterprise? Yeah. So, you know, we formally started this company in 2016, okay. um, which was when the regulations in California were beginning to be settled. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when we set out with this business from day one, we were laying down brick by brick to be fully compliant, fully legal yeah. and to enter this market in a professional way. Yeah. You know, the, the family history is more personal consumption. Yeah. It was never commercial. Yeah. So, you know, we really took the sustainable practices of Sam's family's agricultural background. You know, the family ranch is completely off the grid. They grow all of their own produce, yeah. um, have their own livestock. And so we really believe in that. And we wanted to take those ethos and those practices to our cannabis um, company. You know, when it comes down to it, Sam and I are both brand people. And that's kind of where we came into Interesting. this. Interesting, yeah. I was a buyer for Bloomingdale's, so I come from the retail world and really understand supply chain, CPG products, all of that. Um, Sam has spent the last seven or eight years in the kind of commercial advertising world, um, doing films, commercials, music videos, et cetera. Um, So, you know, we had the agricultural piece of this in our history, but we were also approaching it from a brand perspective. Well, and I think that's... uh you know, kind of the the game right now, or at least the the big focus is figuring out how to really create brands around this as we go, you know, as this becomes more, you know, kind of commercialized and, and much more of a market. And as we're bringing in kind of new waves of consumers and new segments, you know, developing recognizable brands that really tap into these different, you know, segment values is, is going to be key. So given that you're both kind of brand people, how, tell me about kind of brand strategy. Like have you, as you thought about the brand, as you thought about the strategy for the brand, how did you kind of figure out who your focus was going to be and then identify how you were going to build a, a cannabis product to meet that? Yeah, well, that? I mean, our, fo- our, sure. Our focus 
was our own demographic and it's sort of the mm-hmm. people, you know, it's, it's our friends and our family and these people that we work with, um, that are, that care about health and wellness, care about where their, their food comes from, care about where their clothes come from. And so we were trying to create, you know, a brand that really spoke to that. And I think that, you know, the, you know, the buzzword is sustainability and sustainable. I think that's something that we, we believe in personally, uh-huh. and, and it is so, so important and a key pillar to our brand and to all the messaging around the brand. You know, we chose organic colors. We chose a very natural, uh, you know, design throughout our entire brand ID. And that really does come from our own influences and, and what we truly care about. And so that that's really what we put forward, you know, it's our first foot forward in everything that we do with sustainability. Yeah. So, you know, our consumer is the conscious consumer, the person who's shopping at Whole Foods, using Mrs. Meyer's cleaning products, thinks that Patagonia is a cool company. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that that's who we're going after. And, you know, we see this as an enormous market. The people who have been in the market for the last 20 years, um, they're pretty established in their ways and the products that they like. Right now, Gen X and baby boomers are the biggest demographic entering the market yeah. or re-entering the market, depending, you know, on, on their <laughs> yeah, exactly. on historical use. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we wanted to go out and build a brand that, like Sam said, it really spoke to the values, the sustainability, the outdoors aspect. Um, but we also wanted it to be discreet and sophisticated. So, you know, you see a lot of brands out there that have marijuana leaves all over them or, yeah, exactly. you know, Kush or, you know, something in their name, Kush fantastic you know, even some of the strains, Skittles with a Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just not who we are, even down to the strains that we actually grow. You know, we're really, we care about heritage, heirloom. Um, you know, we're looking to grow Landry strains. We want to have that product on on the shelf that you say, oh my God, I remember Maui Wowie from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this feels like something that I can relate to. This feels safe. And so, you know, that is who we are on the shelf. Yeah. Well, and so tell me, tell me about some of those decisions. So you, you mentioned some of the cultivars, you mentioned sort of the branding. I mean, when you've made some of these choices, tell us, tell us some of the choices you've made. So I guess let's start at the cultivar level. What strains have you chose to grow or what cultivars have you chosen to grow and, and why, why those and, and what's the, what's the strategy around some of that? So I'll just back up for a second. Yeah. Um, so we have a business partner, uh, Noah Cornell. Okay. Um, he studied ag- sustainable agriculture at Bard, started his career growing microgreens in the Berkshires. Um, and about 15 oh, years ago, he yeah. moved out to Lake County, California okay. um, and started cultivating cannabis. Sam and Noah have been family friends since they were little. Mm -hmm. Um, So we knew him really well. We trusted him. He was an incredible grower. So we partnered with Noah um, and we actually cultivate on the farm that he lives on. So, you know, it was a combination of Sam and I bringing what we saw out in the legal market at dispensaries Uh and then Noah bringing to us what he knows is going to thrive on our property in our live soil. Um, And, you know, And he also has a very old school mentality in terms of the strains. And so it all just really aligned really well, our relationship and our partnership with Noah. And a lot of this kind of came out of that. Yeah. Yeah. We try to find, you know, there are nurseries who are producing thousands of clones, millions of clones and seeds every season that we, those are the strains that we find throughout California in a variety of different brands. So we try our best to, to move away from those and really kind of 
stick with the more unique cultivars that we already know they grow well and also that come from more less known nurseries. I think that's a big thing is when, you know, we're going to start breeding this year, which is going to be fantastic. But for the last two seasons, we've been, uh, you know, buying seeds and mm-hmm. clones. So we're looking for stuff that we can own in a way. Like we don't really see any other sour Maui's on the market. We don't see other Maui OGs on the market. You know, we didn't see Durban poison on the market until last season. And we grew it two years ago. So, you know, we, we think there is a movement to to sort of back, almost like a back to land thing where it's we, and we're really trying to ride that and really be on the forefront of those original strains that created the cookies, that created the gelatos, mm-hmm. all of that. And so we want to take a step back and, and it's, it's through education and messaging that we're able to be like, look, you like that strain? Well, this is a cross of this and this, and we're growing, you know, that mother basically. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, and, and talk to me a little bit about the decision or the strategy t- in terms of uh, sun grown and, and outdoor grown. I mean, I, you know, I've talked to various folks that are doing all these kind of robo grow kind of setups with, you know, indoor and all this, like what's the, I mean, how much of this is, you know, kind of a, a brand value decision and how much of it is an operational, you know, kind of a, a how to get product to market efficiently decision. I would say it's 50 50. Um, You know, the reason people grow indoors and the reason they grow up in the Redwoods and Humboldt is because it was illegal. And so they had to be pushed into places where you couldn't actually see the product. Growing indoors, there are zero benefits to growing indoors. It's not how cannabis is supposed to be grown. Um, And there's this misconception that you can actually keep consistency and keep away pests and all of that by growing indoors. But actually, it's the reverse. If you're growing outdoors, if you have the proper live soil, um, if you've been really optimizing your bug bios, you know, biosphere, mm-hmm. those insects that live in your soil, that live on your plants, they are killing the pests. And so indoors, if you have one white fly, you have an outbreak. Um, and the only remediation option is chemicals. And you know, if you look at the indoor market, 1% of the entire energy use in the country goes to indoor grow operations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, I mean, to that, it's really a principle thing more than anything. It's yeah. like soil and water flushing that goes down. And we just feel, you know, with indoor cultivations, we just feel that's not the future of cannabis. We feel that the future of quality cannabis is is greenhouse and, and full sun grown. Yeah. And, so, you know, there there's the aspect of, you know, full spectrum sunlight actually helps develop the cannabinoids even better than LED lights. We have over 2% terpenes every single harvest because of our terroir. It's a, it's a real part of our business. Yeah. But also, it is obscenely less expensive to <laughs> grow outdoors than, than growing indoors. Um, and, you know, we call ourselves the cleanest, meanest, and greenest. Mm-hmm. We are completely zero parts per billion pesticides free. We're the meanest because we are growing 25% THC strains. Our potency is just as high and sometimes higher than indoor growers. And we're the, we're the greenest because we're using completely sustainable practices. So, you know, the crazy part is growing organically in ground. We have the margins to be able to actually make it through this market and absorb the price pressure and the volatility that's going to happen yeah. over, um, you know, the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, what's your plan for navigating some of that? You know, I'd certainly, you know, everyone is, you know, kind of everyone has a strategy or everyone sort of sees the the market forces kind of changing as, you know, supply starts to increase. 
I mean, is this niche, like continue to focus on niche, focus on brand? Is it, you know, driving down the cost of operations so you can maintain a margin? Give me a sense of how you're kind of seeing this industry play out and how you're going to kind of position yourselves. Yeah. So there's actually a Jeffries report that came out in the last couple of months that, that is definitely worth reading. Mm. Um, if you're somebody interested in cannabis and particularly the business of cannabis, what they are predicting is that there are going to be two markets. There's going to be the cannabis commodity market. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking hemp. I'm taking hemp out of this. You okay. know, hemp yeah, is going to be commoditized. That's its own market. Yeah. But there is going to be commoditized cannabis. And that's going to be the biomass that's extracted for edibles, for vape pens, for all of those products that aren't just pure flour. Yeah. And even there's going to be some commoditized flour out there. You know, there already is the bud light of cannabis. And, <laughs> no know, pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. And they deserve to be there. And so the other market is going to be premium. And so Jeffries predicts that just like there is a, you know, craft beer market, just just like there is a luxury liquor market, there is going to be premium cannabis. And that's where we sit in the market. And so, you know, that's how we're planning to move forward as this market matures. Yeah, but we're not necessarily it's a, we're high quality cannabis. It's premium cannabis, but not at a premium price. It's at a very accessible price. And I think that's very, very important. You know, Julia once said, which I think is just perfectly accurate for anybody who, I guess, on the East Coast, where we call corner stores bodegas. We, we see our brand in bodegas and in, you know, high end health food stores as well. And like, yeah. we want to be able to provide the same quality, you know, across all markets, which is why we're able, you know, which is certainly a, a strategy of ours. Yeah. So um, I'm curious in terms of running a cultivation business, what what have been some of the challenges, you know, as you kind of, I guess, when you first imagined getting into this and kind of had your plans and your strategy versus how things have played out, what kind of went to plan, what didn't go to plan? Give me a sense of uh, how things have gone. Yeah. So that's a really great question. I guess the most obvious answer to that would be that our farm burned down. Um, (laughs) That that sounds like it wasn't part of the plan. (laughs) Yeah. The Mendocino complex fire, uh, July 27th of 2018. Um, We had 600 plants in the ground and 13 survived. Um, The amazing thing is that the cannabis industry, at least thus far, there's little competition. It's really just a lot of love and support and community. Um, So we were donated 500 plants by a nursery and had the support of the community getting our plants back in the ground and getting up and running again. Um, So we definitely did not foresee that. And along the way, since the fire, we keep hitting these points where we think the fire is behind us. And then we hit an inventory uh, problem and we realize, no, this is going to continue to haunt us until our next season. Yeah. So so that was challenging. Luckily, our business model, we don't only grow ourselves. We source our more exotic strains from some of our partner farms. Got it. Um, so it just forced us to accelerate our partner farm. Yeah. Relationships and really lean on them. So, you know, in the end, we hadn't built out all of, you know, right now we're building out all of our infrastructure, the big deal infrastructure, our processing facility, et cetera. You know, if we had built that out a year ago and that went down in the fire, we'd be in a very different position. You know, there are some silver linings too. I mean, it enabled us to clear our second acre. We're able to rebuild the farm of our dreams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was horrible. It was devastating. But, you know, you, those are realities. If you are an agricultural producer in especially in California you know you're you're dealing with climate in addition to that you know we we consider ourselves i mean we are a vertically integrated brand with cultivation okay. We started the company with our own money that we invested into it, um, but we have recently been raising our seed round. And that has been a very interesting lesson in that 
talking about cultivation really freaks investors out. You know, they want to invest in the Bud Light. You know, they want to invest in the next biggest brand. And a lot of investors are not connecting those dots back to the actual cultivation and how that vertical integration is a huge advantage. So it's been really interesting to feel that feedback and then kind of restructure our story to really show this is a huge advantage that we're vertically integrated on the cultivation side of the supply chain. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I guess what are the what are the skills that you've been able to borrow from your previous businesses and previous professional experience to kind of help you navigate some of these challenges and and what things have you had to kind of learn along the way? Yeah, I mean, well, well compliant packaging, I think, is a huge hurdle for for any startup mm-hmm. cannabis company or any existing cannabis company. I mean, regulations are changing all the time, and I think you know that really gets applied to branding and design and packaging. And so because there's lots of labels that need to be on on each of the jars or packages or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were able to take I was able to take coming from advertising more of a creative approach to it, working with a great, great creative studio in New York and really develop our brand to really, you know, speak, you know, to the consumer that that we were targeting. Um, and that's really where I take mine from, as well as from the content production side of things where, you know, I was doing film and photo shoots and, and you know, websites and marketing campaigns, et cetera. So I think my skills will be more utilized as we were able to grow, grow the team and grow the company in a bit. And I think Julia can speak to hers. So what I skipped over was after I was a buyer at Bloomingdale's, which of course gives me a lot of supply chain experience, Mm -hmm. I actually left there to start my own startup. It was a retail-focused technology company. And over the five and a half years that I ran that startup, we got into Techstars, which is a big incubator program uh, in the United States. Um, And that was a boot camp. You know, Sam and I are both repeat entrepreneurs. Um, My experience was in actually raising institutional funding in going through hockey stick or trying to get hockey stick (laughs) growth, I should say, Um, and, and how you manage a team from one person up to 15 people. So Techstars was an incredible experience and really gave me a lot of the skills that I've been able to bring to this business and kind of chart our way at this very early volatile time um, to be successful, to keep the eye on the ball and to always be looking two steps ahead. Yeah. And I mean, to that also, I mean, we both have run other companies before and, you know, it's so much about hard work. And I think this (laughs) industry, you know, has has equaled, you know, we, we do 12 hour 14 hour days all the time. And, you know, we're, we're always together. So we're really never not thinking about work. Mm-hmm. And I think in this period of, of fluctuations, Julia said, like, it's really important to always be on the ball. And so I think just being, you know, a repeat entrepreneur has helped significantly just continuing to work and drive and put in the hours needed right now to kind of, you know, rise to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about talent. You mentioned, uh, you know, kind of building the teams and finding talent. Uh, what have what has been the key kind of talent needs that you've come across, and and how has that been going? I mean, are, are you finding that there's available talent, there's not available talent? What's that side of the business look like? Yeah. So that's a really interesting piece of the business. Our company, we're really focused on being hyper local um, in everything we do, in the way that we engage with our community, in the marketing, um, and that relates to our hiring as well. Um, you know, we are we're hiring people. Who are local, so up at our farm in Lake County. And those are people who have come from the cannabis industry. And we really care about that as a company. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, having run companies before, Sam and I have experienced a whole range of motivation and love or lack of for the company (laughs) that people are working for. And 
it's in, you know, it's incredible. The people we've hired who come from cannabis, who've been kind of charting this gray area for the last 10 years of their career are so happy and so thankful. They just can't believe they get to be part of a completely legal operation um, that's making history. And so we have found that industry insiders are absolutely the best employees mm. um, for so many reasons. Yeah. And I mean, to, to that, you know, sales, for example, there's not a lot of people with a lot of sales, cannabis sales experience yeah. on in the legal market. And I think, you know, sales are incredibly important for any business. And so, you know, we, uh, you know, used a recruiter to find to find salespeople. And I think that was really beneficial where they're kind of doing the first initial vetting, obviously, as a recruiter. Yeah. And then we're able to make sure that they they fit our you know, our company fine tune it. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, it's, I mean, it's going to be amazing. Anybody who's in the industry right now and is who learning the ropes of this industry right now, I mean, there's going to be, they have a career for the rest of their life as, as this industry continues to expand throughout the United States and and globally. Yeah. Have you found any other, uh, kind of transplants or, or people that have come from other industries that have done well or not done well? What have you noticed in terms of? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we're now seeing, you know, the whole brand, cause I pay attention to branding creative work a lot. And mm-hmm. so we're seeing all these, these, uh, cannabis focused marketing and branding agencies pop up now where they're all those people are transplanted. Yes. And I think, you know, that's, that's certainly something that's really popular. And it's sort of like the easy, easiest way into cannabis is like making a logo for it as opposed to any of the other much more complicated avenues yeah. to get into the markets. So we're seeing a lot of that. And you know, there are also tons of people coming in from the liquor industry. So, you know, yep. because it's such a regulated industry and it is, you know, a recreational product um, and a CPG product. So there are a lot of people coming in from InBev, Diageo, especially up at the higher executive levels. Yeah. But and to that, though, I mean, I think an interesting, you know, not trend, but more uh Something that we've noticed is mm-hmm. that a lot of these buyers of the dispensaries are still the same buyers they have been for the last five years, if not longer. Yeah. And so they're kind of have an old school, an old school approach to buying. And, you know, the last thing they want to see is some person who doesn't know about cannabis who hasn't gone through, you know, the hardships that a lot of us have in the industry over the last number of years to come in the door and try to sell them a product. You know, yeah. they want somebody that they know they've already known from a different cannabis company or somebody who has knows incredible amounts about flour or or whatever product they're trying to sell like i think these buyers don't won't even like look at you basically unless they know you already or know that you're from the industry there's kind of an industry test that if you're <laughs> yeah. director if you're director of sales if you walk in with your director of sales into a dispensary and they know the security guard the person behind the front desk and one of the bud bud tenders uh-huh. your uh-huh. your sales director is part of the industry that's the person you want to yeah hire. that's who you want to be hiring yeah yeah yeah, that, it definitely sort of feels like there's a lot of a lot of newness, a lot of new people coming in. And so kind of figuring out how to how to make sure that we continue kind of quality and knowledge and yeah. kind of connection to the to the history is, is important. So you mentioned a little bit about regulation and, and some of that. I guess, how have you found that process? I mean, where have you seen the challenges? Where, where do you think it's working? Where do you think it's not working? I mean, all, I know that all this is kind of state by state, but for the for California and, and your market, What's your kind of observations and what are your thoughts on how the regulation side of it is playing out? So I think at least I have a 
un, a unique perspective, an unusual perspective on this. Um, I'm really happy that California has rolled out this industry with such tight regulations. Yeah. You know, this is the first time that an agricultural product gets to be regulated properly. And, you know, we're talking everything about destroying the environment, leaching chemicals into mm-hmm. the water, um, into the soils. We're talking about, you know, endangering neighbors and communities. Um, and, you know, and we're also talking about product that people ingest, they're consuming it. Yeah. And so I really appreciate that it's being regulated this tightly. You know, it actually makes me a more conscious consumer. Now I'm starting to think, okay, if my organic sugar can't pass a uh, cannabis test, <laughs> why why are we consuming that? You know, why why yeah. is cannabis held to a higher standard? All of our food, everything we ingest should be held at that standard. So, you know, we really believe in these regulations. And we also see that the Californian government and the regulators, it's a conversation. Um, they mean well. And that doesn't always get executed properly. And so, you know, you have to stay part of the conversation. At the same time, it's insanely frustrating. It costs us thousands of dollars every time something changes. We've had to throw away 25,000 barrier bags that weren't compliant packaging after a rule change. So, you know, and some of the regulations are existential, you know, which California is going through right now. They offered temporary permits to cultivators. There are over 4,000 temporary permits over 2018. Um, and the backlog in reviewing the annual applications for your, your final license got so big and the agency couldn't handle it that now there's this existential crisis of farmers who have seeds going into pots and their temporary license has expired and they have no annual in sight. So, you know, that's just one of the existential crises. There's also additional testing regulations that keep rolling out. So the most recent one was a standard threshold for heavy metals. Um, Mm -hmm. There are entire operations, huge operations, not even just your mom and pop who have to spend millions of dollars remediating their entire property because of the lead that's in their water system. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, this is the year of existential crisis. And we're not saying any of those are bad things necessarily either. Yeah. Like we're, we're in support of clean product. And so we're down for whatever they Yeah. <laughs> I get it. But in terms of how things get implemented, you end up with these situations where people have, have invested a lot of money and energy and time into a, a particular model. And then when the regulation changes, it ends up, you know, make, causing huge, huge changes. Sometimes, you know, like you said, existential change to their business. But yeah, I think it's just it's the nature of an early stage industry. And as the government and legislature just kind of figure this stuff out, as the industry figures things out, you're going to have these kind of uh, these these waves of uh, of change, which unfortunately is going to impact some people more than others. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, it's I, we we stand behind small farmers and want to support small farmers in yeah. you know, any and all way possible. They're the reason that we are where we are and we we're able to get to where we are. So we have yeah. the utmost respect for them and wanting support any way possible. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts. Um, you know, if, if we some someday <laughs> get to some kind of federal level um, on this, how, how does it kind of change your business or how does it change your market? What's the, what, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, if and when we get a federal ruling or a federal a change in federal law on this, what happens for you? 
Yeah. So, you know, part of the reason we are in California is that it's the largest market of cannabis in the entire world, and it will be. It's projected to be 25% of the world's cannabis market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and cannabis is really similar to wine in terms of the climate it's grown in, their terroir. Um, and so if you look at the United States and wine, there are vineyards in Michigan, there are vineyards in Long Island. You still prefer to buy wine, or at least it has a higher cachet to buy wine mm-hmm. from California. So we see cannabis as being exactly the same. You know, at the same time, we're already beginning to um, put the feelers out there and start to plot out our national expansion. As a brand that is vertically integrated with cultivation, the actual cultivation SOPs are a very important piece of the puzzle, um, which makes it a little bit more challenging for us to go out and start, um, you know, getting up and running in Massachusetts, Illinois, Texas, et cetera. Um, But it's something that we are already beginning to kind of lay down the the foundation for. Yeah. And you're saying some of the larger, uh, more funded companies do that too. They're going into these other states in interesting ways. Uh, you know, for example, getting into the CD, CBD market in another state mm-hmm. as an entry point into establishing their brand there yeah. and then coming yeah. later once cannabis is legalized there, which I think is, is very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, so we're going to hit time here. Sam, Julia, thank you so much. If uh, people want to find out more about you, about Aster, what's the best way to get that information? Asterfarms.com. We have a whole list of where you can find us at dispensaries, a little bit of information about our practices, um, and there's a contact us form on there. So feel free to reach out. Yes. And of course, the Instagram. Oh, yeah. What's the handle? What's your Insta handle? At Aster Farms. Great. That's A-S-T-E-R Farms. Uh, I'll make sure that the handle and the URL are in the show notes so people can click through and get to that. Uh, right. this- nothing for sale on it. On any, we're not selling anything, so nobody contact us about selling. <laughs> Point noted. Nobody. This is not a retail retail exactly. website. I, I will say I've I've seen the website. It's quite beautiful. You've done a great job with uh, imaging and just the whole kind of aesthetic feel of it. It's it's clear. It's clear the brand the brand essence that you're trying to capture here. So I encourage people to go check it out. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, look forward to staying in touch and hopefully I'll, I'll be able to come out and actually visit the farm someday. It sounds like a beautiful location. We would it love is. that. We would love that. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.